You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even All right. Hey, everybody. This is Al Martin. Welcome back to Making Data Simple. I have Dinesh Nirmal on today. Dinesh is the Vice President of Development for IBM Data and AI. I actually report to Dinesh, so I'm going to have to be on good behavior, try not to get myself into trouble today. That's very difficult for me to do. But to give uh, Dinesh some kudos, he's, uh, he's responsible for more than a dozen labs around the world here at IBM. He, I know in your tenure in this current role, I think you've instrumented what we call ICP for data, IBM Cloud Private for data, which is an open cloud native architecture, which think microservices. You've done uh, IBM Integrated Analytics System, which is one of my personal favorites mm-hmm. because uh, I was a little heavily involved with that. Then we did machine learning for Z, IBM Watson Studio, which I hold responsibility for now. And within all of this, which I think is kind of cool and worth mentioning, You've won some major design awards, including two Red Dot awards uh, for our products. So you were on here before, like you're a veteran, you know, <laughs> you know what we're about. Welcome, Dinesh. How you been? Been good. I mean, you know, I missed this. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> you're a two timer now. See, that's, I mean, that puts you in, you know, elite air, right? I heard you have a great following, you I mean, I'm jealous. How do you do it? <laughs> How do I do it? I don't know. It's because I bring people like you on, and you explain your story, and all I got to do is sit here and listen, right? It's um, really good. I mean, you know, it's a what a great way to tell the story and have a, you know, have a lot of people following it. That's really good, impressive. Well, I, uh, I, I have to tell you, I really enjoy it. As I often say, when I started this out, I was, um, it was selfishly, I just wanted to learn more about products, wanted to network with more people, and suddenly it's ballooned. Uh, to what we see today with thousands of subscribers, which I appreciate, by the way, for everybody that's listening. And uh, and by the way, give us any feedback in terms of what you want to hear. But uh, I think it all comes back down to the guests. I just ask questions and I'll let the guests yeah. take it, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, it's like a restaurant. You bring good food, people will come. <laughs> you bring good guests, I'm sure you will get listening. Uh, I think I'm better at eating than I am at making food, but I, I get your point. So look, you're, again, you're the VP of uh, Data and AI Development also the site executive here at uh, IBM uh, Silicon Valley Lab, which we're sit today. I, this is actually nice because we're sitting right in front of one another. Usually I'm on the phone or something like that. So how do, what does your day-to-day consist of? I mean, can, can you can you start there? I mean, you're in Silicon Valley. You're at the hottest place on the earth. You're in the, uh, the middle of everywhere in terms of data and AI. I, I call that the central nervous system of where the industry is today. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a great place to be, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I think when you look at IBM or when I look at IBM, I see IBM as the term you used, veteran, but an experienced um, partner for enterprises. I really think that's what differentiates IBM. When it comes to enterprises, I don't think there's anybody who can do or understand better than IBM. Um, so you talk about in the Valley, There's a in the Valley, there's a lot of offshoots, right? I mean, there's a lot of big companies, but there's a lot of offshoots or startups who's trying to get into that space. So I think it's a you know wonderful area for us to be a mentor, a helper, a guide for these new startups who are trying to get into the enterprise space. 
telling them or educating them and helping them to understand what does it mean to be a enterprise level company uh, or a vendor to help enterprises like availability how do you make sure your product is reliable how do you make sure it's scalable how do you make sure it's secure all those things we have we have it in our dna but not not a lot of the startups and the companies who aspire to be so in the valley we have a great opportunity to go do the meetups and talks and all those things to make them understand make the new companies make the new entrepreneurs understand that getting into the consumer space and building an app is one thing but getting into the enterprise space is a totally different ball game much higher stakes but much higher reward but the day to day i would say you know obviously I have the day job but that's one area you know i have been trying to work is how do we get into the nuts and bolts of um, the silicon valley to educate them about enterprise how yeah how do you engage with companies around here and particularly startups now while you're thinking of that answer you've got a great briefing center here in fact that's usually where i usually camp because they got a lot of good food that are sitting outside the the <laughs> the office but uh I mean, I know you bring a lot of clients into the briefing center and outline our technologies in simple terms so they can take that away, use cases and whatnot. Um, you may elaborate on that, but any any other ways that you engage in the Valley to really help these startups? Yeah, I think in the Valley, getting um, our name out is important. So working with, like, for example, we are working with the mayor's office to help them, um, you know, help them, for example, uh, one of the biggest problems San Jose is facing right now is illegal dumping, believe it or not. That's one of the biggest problems. Um, Just illegal dumping in trash. Right. Really? So they go, you know, because once you dump the trash somewhere, one, it becomes a sore. Uh, you have to worry about the environmental problems that will cause. Yeah. You have to worry about accidents it can cause. You know, you have to, there's a plethora of things that follows, you know, the dumping. People don't understand it. Or people do is like they just dump it anywhere. So there's no one location folks are going and dumping. So it's so when the mayor's office approached, you know, us um, to figure out, you know, can we use AI? Obviously, you know, you need a lot of data to use AI. And do we have the past data of where the dumping happens? You know, all those things. So to answer your question, how do we engage with these startups? A bunch of startups are working on it. So for us to go in, work with them, obviously gives us gives them an exposure to IBM and be able to collaborate together. So that's one avenue. The other avenue is like, you know, going to meetups. You know, you meet a lot of new entrepreneurs. Actually, today I had lunch with one of the blockchain startups uh, where they were talking about, you know, what are the things that they have to do to become a successful enterprise so you you know you get once you go to the meetups and all that you get meet a lot of uh, wannabe uh, Elon Musk's of the future <laughs> and you you know strike up a conversation you try to help them you try to mentor them. Um, I am also you know helping and I also sit in the advisory board of some of the small companies here, so that also helps. So several avenues. Nice. Is there any just off the cuff, um, and then we'll get back on point? Is there any technologies that you're working with that uh, out there are new startups that really? catch your eye and say that's pretty cool that's pretty cool without naming any names perhaps i think there's a lot of work being going on in the ai space um that i see uh you know i mean the the work that i see in some of the consumer space excites me because i feel like that will help um 
me as a consumer in the long run cutting my wait time from you know 45 minutes to a minute or below uh, cutting my you know reservation time from you know hours to minutes things like that so I think the use of AI to take out um, your wait time and help you as a consumer or customer is what excites me and I see a lot of startups there in that particular space working rigorously to help customer so that's one but there's also I'll give you another example I had a major retailer here the CTO and you know his comment was that I made that discussion in yesterday's all hands also you know he said to me Dinesh every vendor comes with the story of AI every vendor whether they have a solution or not they have an AI story but a lot of it is FUD I mean once you get into the details of it there's nothing underneath of it so you know what, where the customers are really focused right now is to separate the reality versus, you know, what they have created. Uh, the creation might be very minimal and the reality is very minimal, but the noise is so high. So the customer also has to look into it to make sure that they are not, you know, buying into the vision and not the product. I think it's one of the problems that we have today. And that's why we have a saying that uh, AI is not magic. Right. Uh, it's computer science. Uh, but then we also start, or at least I've, I've started and I, I've stole this joke from several others. If the difference between uh, machine learning and AI, if it's written in Python, it's machine learning. If it's written in PowerPoint, it's AI. But the one thing is, is uh, what I'm pr- proud of, and I lead part of the AI space. I like that joke, by the way. Uh, as I lead a, the AI space here, um, you know, it's real stuff. It's computer science is what it is. Yeah. And we're trying to do things like uh, OpenScale, which is the explainability, et cetera. So you can lift up the hood and see what's going on and find that, you know what, I know why it made that decision. It's not magic. I can use this. I can get started uh, today. But um, backing up for a second, you have a lot of technologies that you're responsible for across what we call the Latter-day AI, that being um, collecting, organize, analyzing, and infuse. Um, What's on your mind right now? I mean, what would be the the product that... uh, products or products that you feel like are, are uh, paramount to the market right now, are gaining traction, things that you're really excited about? From our portfolio? From our portfolio. Or you can say any portfolio for that yeah. matter, but I was really talking our portfolio in this case. Yeah. No, no. I think um, there's a few few products that I'm excited about. One, you know, there's no shortage of data. I mean, whether it's transactional data, behavioral data, uh, social data, you know, warehouse data. There's plenty of data coming in. So that's never been the problem with customer. The problem that I see is that a lot of customers still don't have a use case, meaning what are they trying to solve? Once they figure that out, then the data is always available because it keeps flowing in. I think they work the other way. They think, here's the data, what can we do with it? But it should be the other way. Here's the problem, how do we solve it using the data? But have, haven't you seen like a lot of customers oh, come yes. in? Yeah, I, I have the data. What, what what can we do with it? What is the use case we can work on? So so you know that's one thing. The mindset of changing, saying that you know, forget the data. What is the problem you're trying to solve? And then the data will come together. You know, you clean the data. All those things that becomes. So as far as data goes, the fact that IBM is bringing Object Store on on 
behind the firewall, that's an exciting thing because now all of a sudden you have, you know, uh, a tremendous amount of data flow that can be controlled. You can burst that into cloud, all those things. So the IBM Cloud Object Store excites me. I'm talking beyond my portfolio, but that's what excites me. The other one that excites me is private cloud in a box because that really, you know, helps customer get to a productive state uh, from zero in hours, not months or years. Uh, meaning being able to build the infrastructure behind the firewall using Kubernetes, using microservices, using cloud native architecture in hours is a very critical path than taking, you know, uh, months or years. AI open scale, like you said, that excites me because, you know, it's really getting to understand how your model is behaving, what kind of explainability that you can do, all those things. So that one is also really exciting. And if I look from the governance perspective, it really excites me the fact that, um, you know, now we have uh, the end-to-end governance, whether you're a business or a technical user using Watson Knowledge Catalog, cloud or on-prem. So there's a lot of good stuff, but end-to-end being able to manage and monitor and, and, you know, take your data or to the ladder to AI, that we have all the product sets excites me. But if I have to name some of them, I would say these are some. Those are good. Those are good. I mean, I think when you go through that, uh, I mean, if anybody that's in technology doesn't get excited about some of the stuff that you've outlined, I mean, they're they're probably in the wrong field. I mean, we are truly in an inflection point. So what I heard you say is object storage uh, behind the fire, firewall. I heard you say ICP for for data or, or what was it? Uh, private cloud, private cloud box, account in a box. I want you to explain that a little bit more. And then you also said, uh, I'm losing my, my mind. AI open scale. AI open scale, which is us taking... AI to the next level. Again, open it up the hood. You can see explainability, attracts bias. It does auto ML, makes your job easier, and, and you can actually uh, automate the selection of algorithms, which is uh, fantastic. You didn't say, I, I'll get back to um, cloud in a box, but uh, you didn't say a lot blockchain. Blockchain excites you, or is it uh, old news already? I don't think it's old news, but it's in its infancy. It's exciting, but it will take a longer time for enterprises to adopt it, I feel, in full scale. There's some adoption happening, So, um, but AI is something you know, customers can realize pretty fast. They, they already have rule engine, rules engine that is running this today. The transformation to AI, really they can get the benefit pretty fast. In the, so let me give you three examples. What, what, are, what are the real benefits of AI? I mean, I think one is optimization. Optimization of your business processes inside, your, your you know, optimization of it outside your supply chain, all those things. AI can bring tremendous improvement very fast. Uh, productivity, meaning, you know, or, or reaching your new set of customers, uh, you know, in a much more effective way. So if I'm a customer who have, you know, let's say 10 million uh, mobile customers, I have been sending them, you know, some uh, advertisement or ways to grow my revenue. Using AI, I can use that 10 million customers in to understand where do I need to precisely target, what kind of advertisement do I need to send, and have some predictability in my costs. So that's another one. 
The third and most important thing I think is the knowledge. With AI, the knowledge stays within the enterprise. So if you are a bank who had an underwriter who has been there for 30 years, he or she walks, the knowledge walks out the door. With AI, the knowledge is in there. Knowledge never leaves. If anything, it's learning. So with AI, all those benefits are there and customers can immediately benefit, see, get the value. With blockchain, it's harder, right? I mean, because you're setting up a huge, tremendous system that didn't exist yesterday. With AI, the system is already there. You're just infusing AI into it. Meaning basically, so if you're doing transactions, you're just doing, you know, in-transaction processing. You're infusing AI into the transaction itself. With blockchain, you're bringing in a whole new plethora of stuff and you have to have a lot of parties who sign in with with you. So if I'm a bank, I, right. me alone cannot sit there and say I have blockchain. You need other banking parties who will sign up with you to form that consortium to benefit in blockchain. So it's not that I don't see the value, but um, I feel like it will take time for us to really see blockchain take. Well, the advancements in security or security protection though are huge when you start thinking about blockchain. Yeah, yeah. It, it, so there are definitely benefits, but until and until unless that ecosystem get built up with the right kind of partners, vendors, and customers, we are now going to see a massive uptake. Very good. Got it. So back to IBM, what I would call IBM Cloud Private, Cloud Private, the cloud in a box. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, initiatives, I helped to spearhead on, a, on the back of many geniuses, though. So but why don't you describe it? I think yeah. it's pretty interesting. So, so today, if I'm a customer whether you're building a, you know, let's say private or hyper cloud, look at the things that you have to acquire. You have to acquire your hardware. You have to bring in an infrastructure service. You have to have a platform like Coop. And then you have to get the data layer, you know, however many services on top of it. You have to um, build all those things from ground up, which could take, you know, just acquiring hardware itself could take going through the purchase process, getting the right set of hardware what kind of storage you need. All those things alone could take months. And then being able to build a, a cloud-native infrastructure on top of it is another thing. And then skill set, right? I mean, none of these things comes for free. You need very skilled people to build those things on top of a hardware or infrastructure that you have built. Plus, get it all integrated, get it all connected, get it all optimized. Months, if not years worth of work. What does cloud in a box do? It gets you all done in less than four hours. You have a cloud in a box that's fit your needs with data ready, with AI infused, and up and running in less than four hours. That's nice. what cloud in a box. Now you have, you know, uh, like I said, cloud object store in it. You can burst data to cloud. You can connect to public cloud. You can keep your secure data behind the firewall. You can get that, you know, unsecured data onto public cloud. You can do whatever you want. But you you have a modern infrastructure built on Kubernetes up and running in less than four hours. So you get the Kubernetes microservices architecture. Uh, it's what, what I say is you modernize your data center like overnight. I mean, in four hours. It doesn't even have to be overnight. You I think you said it well. You're done. So when you – what does it include – and what it does it if if it's worth saying what does it not include? I mean, uh, in other words, when I say include, 
you've got everything from collect, organize, analyze, and infuse machine learning in that one box on the software side that's pre-integrated with the hardware, um, object storage, et cetera. Uh, correct? Yes. And then I would say, why don't you elaborate on that if you could a little bit? So you have the data layer, right? So you have the DB2 warehouse, you have the cloud object store, you have, you know, you have the data layer, obviously. Then um, as far as collect or connect, um, you have the data virtualization piece, which is huge. Um, then, uh, you know, you have the uh, Watson Studio and Watson Machine Learning that's in there, which helps you build models and other things. You have the AI components like Watson Assistance, Watson Discovery, AI OpenScale, all those things in there. And then from a governance perspective, you have all the layers that you need to do your ETL to govern your data, the data catalog. Um, so it, it brings everything, the data, it brings the layer below, like the platform, it brings you the infrastructure, and it's extensible, meaning as you as you get get more and more data and as you get want to expand more and more you have you know you have um what you need can i get software only you can you can but not in the initial phase all right sounds good hey look since we're, since we're on the ai concept uh we've talked a lot about ai here i had a question for you you specifically pointed out the other day that there is just four percent of executives that say their businesses have successfully implemented AI. My question to you is, what do you think is holding them back? It's definitely not data, uh, because I, I think everybody has data. Um, there's a tremendous amount of data floating around. What holds them back is, you know, their clear use case on how do they want to use AI. You know, a problem statement within their enterprise on where they want to infuse AI. So I would start there um, to say, okay, this is where I want to infuse AI. Because if you look at enterprises, everybody says they're using AI. Every line of business has some project going on AI or ML. But I don't think they're really working on something that is going to get productized, meaning uh, deployed into their production systems. So finding out the problem use case is one then getting the buy-in from the stakeholders is another one then having the right set of data scientists or data engineers to clean the data and make sure the data is available to the data scientists is the next step then having the right it folks to make sure that you can go deploy this model into production is the next step so it's a it's a collaborative sport where you need to make sure it's not just a data scientist i mean people say well i have 10 data scientists I mean, that doesn't mean anything. Just because you're a data scientist, what are they going to do? They're going to build a bunch of models. So what? <laughs> you, you can put it on your shelf and keep it there. So, you know, it's a collaborative sport in the sense that you need the buy-in from the IT folks. You need data scientists. You need good data engineers. You need, um, you know, you need to have a buy-in from the development community with the existing applications. You need to make sure that you're collaborative with the line of business to understand the depth of what they are trying to do, the vertical knowledge, all those things. So this all has to come together for it to be successful. I totally agree with you. And I agree with on the, uh, it, it's amazing to me. I, I think it does start with use cases. In fact, I just spent the last couple of days with a workshop to identify strong use cases, help work with clients so that they understand that they can do this quickly. Yeah. But I think what ends up happening, I think it's crazy to say, and I've said this in many of these podcasts, because it seems like we always come here, is that... Um, 
it's like they like a, a the C-suite goes to the board and the board says, what are you doing with AI? And they turn around and say, all right, we got to do something with AI guys. Mm-hmm. And they forget the problem or the, yeah, the problem they're trying to resolve, the use cases, which is the most important thing. You got to make sure you have that. The other excuse I often get is, like, my data's not ready. We've got to do a lot of work around that. But with the tools that we have today, we're advancing so quickly that you can put models in place uh, you know, very, very quickly. I'd say within 24 hours, you can get some models in place when you're, you know, some of the simpler um, problem statements like customer churn or, or otherwise. I find that um, one story that I'll, I'll, Seth Durbin has told me around Monsanto, Monsanto when he when he worked there, it's kind of funny that uh, he got the charter to go create data science and he put all these data scientists together, to your point. They created all these models. They created like 140. I, I'll have to have him on to tell this story. And the first year, they created 140 models. They're, they're humming. The next year, guess how many they created? 20? No, zero. They created zero. And why they, they created zero is because then they were, like, adjusting the models, trying to figure out how the models, you know, because you had data drift. You had a lot of different things. The technologies that were put in place that get me excited are, like, the open scale, et cetera, that mm-hmm. d- does auto ML, data drift, et cetera, so that you can put those models in place, and they can be – uh, you can have auto ML, so you can adjust those models as you go. You're not going to have all of them that may be retained, but you get a lot of them that retained over time. Anyway, I'm probably getting off the, the subject, but I, a couple of things you said resonated with me on that. Agreed. So you've also made the statement that said uh, that data happens in real time, but decisions are often made on stale data. Could you talk to what you meant by stale data yeah. and yeah. what people can do about it? Yeah, so that's a statement I think I borrowed from, I believe, Forrester. I don't remember who. But it's so true. I mean, uh, data, all data comes in real time. I mean, you know, any data you take comes in real time. But most of the decisions are made on stale data. That means the data has already gone into a warehouse or data has already gone into somewhere for you to make that decision. Um, I think the future is real-time decision-making. Uh, meaning you being able to predict uh, on the real-time data that's coming in, you being able to infuse AI into real-time data, and you be able to improve your businesses on real-time data. And right now, the data as it comes in, you know, it goes into a warehouse or goes into an object store or goes into somewhere, swamp, lake, whatever you call it, and then happens the the whole analytical processing, right? I mean, that's why Hadoop and uh, big data got a lot of um, interesting, um, you know, interesting publicity uh, publicity in the last few years. But that's that's going to change. That's going to change in the pure real time. I mean, you you if you're an aircraft, you want to know on real time if a device on your aircraft is needs replacement. And being able to connect your backend ERP to place an order so that the device can be ordered and put in that plane as soon as possible. That's to me is real time. I mean, right now, you know, a device is sitting there. Some mechanic goes into look at it, logs some data, goes into some system. It goes into a final person who looks at that data, then puts goes to the finance for approval, finance approves, then it goes to an ERP system. Then it goes as an PO or a purchase order to the vendor. But can you do it real time based on the IoT data or streaming data that device is sending you? You can say that this this 
particular device is, you know, getting tarnished or getting old and that we need to place an order now, that can all, all happen real time. That, that to me is the future or will happen pretty soon. You know, you mentioned Forrester. So, look, I don't try to overly tout IBM on this podcast, but, you know, every so often we can tout ourselves. I'd be, I'd forced to put IBM Cloud private for data, you already talked to, our microservices, Kubernetes architecture in the top tier for what they call enterprise insight platforms. And I know there's some other folks that have entered the field. What do you think distinguishes our approach? End-to-end integrated solution. I mean, so whether you're ingesting the data, whether you're governing the data, whether you're uh, cleaning the data, whether you're building models, you know, um, whether you're deploying those models, we have an end-to-end or or visualizing the data. We have an end-to-end platform that can really help you, um, you know, drive insights into your data. That is clearly what's driving the interest. Um, And we've got a ton of open source in there. There was another question I wanted to ask you. Why is it seemingly that IBM is so obsessed? Why is it we're so obsessed with open source? Open source has such a wide number of people working on certain projects that it's 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 better to collaborate than compete. So, but then again, open source comes with its own set of challenges. One, security. Two, some open source project that used to be the shiny object three years ago doesn't even exist three years later. So how do you as an enterprise bring in the legal challenges, you know? What are the loop calls you need? So it's all... Always enterprise adopt an open source that is backed by a big vendor. So if you like look at Kubernetes, right? I mean, obviously there's such a support from uh, IBM and Google and other big vendors. If you look at Spark, Databricks and Microsoft and IBM, I mean, if you look at, so I think the more adopted open source projects definitely have some big heavyweights behind it. Very good, very good. One more question, then I got a few personal questions for you, as I always do. All right, um, data and AI, we're moving pretty fast, very fast. What do you see? And maybe you've already kind of hit this, but I want to give you the last word here: is what do you see as the big trends that um, are we're we're up for, and how are we getting out in front of them? I think the big trends are going to be around data because. AI will always be there, but how can you make that data available quickly to the data scientist in a cleansed manner is going to be the key. Because the AI piece is like, yeah, I mean, you know, there's different kinds of AI, right? I mean, obviously there is uh, the consumer AI, there's the enterprise AI, there's, um, you know, speech to text, text to speech. I mean, there's different variants that you want to do. That's always going to be there. It's going to be heavily open source driven. There's going to be tremendous interest. There's going to be a lot of hype. There's going to be, all those things are going to be there. And a lot of enterprise will continue to adopt AI. But I think the transformation will happen in the data. Meaning, how does enterprises deal with this tremendous amount of inflow of data? How do they know what is noise versus what is real? Where do they need to store all this data and what is hot versus cold data that they need to keep you know, handy? How do they make sure that the data is secure, especially with GDPR and other things that's going on? So I think the 
while the data is not as sexy as AI right now, but the core focus will shift to data to make sure that it's available and ready for AI. That's where I think that will move. Whether it's the IoT data, whether it's the social data, whether it's the behavioral data, whether it's the transactional data, whether it's the warehouse data, I think the focus will shift to data to see how do we make it readily available for you to go build models that will enable you to get onto the AI bus. Fantastic. How is there, where would you suggest people go to get more information about this stuff? Just IBM.com, IBM Big Data Hub, any, anything else you'd say, hey, no, that you should, just want to make sure I got them all. We'll put them in the show notes, but. IBM.com would be a good place to start. And yeah. obviously, you know, it's like searching for a fish in the ocean, but you would find <laughs> Don't put that all right. on the blog, but. <laughs> all right. Hey, uh, one of the favorite segments here is what I call the lightning round. Uh, people want to get to know more about Dinesh. Um, so I got to ask you a few questions. You in? Yes. All right, let's go. Um, so what does your, your day look like? I mean, I know you got, you got young kids. I met your young kid. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of energy. I have to tell yeah, you. Uh, I think you <laughs> met my older one. Yes. I met my That's youngest. true. Well, if you think my older one has energy, then my <laughs> younger one, you know, probably could lift uh, these chairs and, you know, these tables and all those things. But my day is like, you know, usually starts around 430 uh, because he usually wakes up around 4.30, 4.15, somewhere there. So um, I'm anyway an early riser, so I you know, I get him ready or give him milk and all those things, play with him for some time. And then my day usually starts around 6.15, uh, yeah. and Rob or somebody from East Coast usually have calls by 7. Yeah. Um, so I have to get prepared, look at the emails. So that's why 6.15 starts. And, you know, the problem with working in West Coast for an East Coast company is that your day starts early, but your day never ends early. So, you know, you usually put a lot of hours, but that's, yeah. that's my day. And usually the meetings, you know, I mean, a lot of phone calls like this afternoon, you know, all my calls are remote calls, uh, customer calls, things like that. So it varies. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I've read that Tim Cook gets up around 3.30 because, you know, you, you, the problem that you have on the West Coast, I mean, I, I, I'm empathetic because I still have it on, the, on, on the, you know, Central Time where it's an East Coast company. You got to get up early okay. uh, to, or otherwise you're behind to, to start with. What are you not very good at? A lot of things. Um, a lot of things I'm not very good at. Where, do, where should I start? <laughs> Just okay, I'm not a good, I'm not a direction wise, I'm not very good. Like if you are going somewhere um, and. You mean like navigation? Navigation and all those things, I'm not very good at. I mean, I can guarantee that I'll get you lost. I mean, Madhu can tell your story about that. We were driving in Austin <laughs> and, you know, but anyway, that's a, a different story. But yeah, I'm not very good with navigation direction things like that i'm sure the women listening are saying yeah it's a, a male trait that we just get in go and then find out that we're where we're not supposed to be so i may share that with you uh, i hear you're pretty good at cricket i play yeah i mean I, I don't know if i'm good but i definitely play um i think uh we all have that right i mean we have a competitive spirit although your hamstrings are hurting your back is pulling your neck is about to break down you still play <laughs> And it's called old old age, man. Right, right, right. So I had Rob Thomas play here yesterday, and he texted me later saying that, Don, while I was playing cricket, I think my hamstring pulled. I said, <laughs> I said, welcome to old age. That would that would definitely happen. But so, 
give me some kudos. You got a huge here at Silicon Valley Lab. You've got a huge cricket site that you put up that you would like to, to to tout. I think you can see it from the airplane when you're coming in. Can you not? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you can. I mean, and we have put a big IBM logo. We have about 172 flights that either take off or land in this direction. So uh, the goal was that you can see it from the plane. I think you accomplished that goal. It's huge, IBM. So um, what's your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? If I were to, you know, so let me back up. My favorite so far food, I shouldn't say food, but definitely the barbecue has been in Kansas. Oh, he's been, all right. He's going to tell that Kansas one, City. No, I, I cannot forget that. I mean, the burned-ins were so good. I mean, I can still <laughs> not forget. Even my son says that we got to go back to Kansas. Um <laughs> As far as food goes, you know, I mean, I, I'm a foodie. I mean, I'll eat anything. Uh, but there's a restaurant here in uh, Fremont called Shalimar, uh, which is like, you know, meat eaters paradise. I usually, you, there's no takeout or anything. You just have to go. It's a hole in the wall, but it's, it's a great food. Nice. And thanks for that. I hope Daniel Hernandez is listening, by the way. Um, what, do you, what do you wish you had known before you started out in this industry? Would it gave you a head start? Uh, what would I have known, you know, well, something maybe you've changed that because you, you've learned over time that, you know, I need to do this or this to be able to be successful in this, this industry. I think, um, I, I wish, I mean, I've worked in the data, you know, a long period of time, the amount of insights and the amount of value, amount of breadth data can bring is just amazing i think i'm i still haven't learned i mean i don't think anybody has but i i feel like you know if i had the knowledge that i have today 10 years ago or the wisdom about data i probably would have you know i mean done really well or or i think you've done pretty well right right but i'm just saying like (laughs) i mean um so i wish i would have learned more about data and insights into the data you know in the early 2000s because that's when it all started. I mean, there's some analytics, but not to the level where data gravity is happening right now. It's all around data, the gravity towards data. And that's why when you ask me, what do I see in the future? I think the gravity towards data is going to get even more and more and more focused because of all the apps and the AI that needs to get data. I have a lot, but kind of to your point there, I mean, I think learning has, is, is, as I get older, is I'm more and more appreciative of learning and 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 just continuously learning. I can't read enough books. It's it's a little bit of a um, obsession, I guess, for me. Two more questions, and I'll you let know you what go. people say: the more you read, the lesser the chance of you aging, the lesser the chance of you having like you know Parkinson's or Alzheimer's and all those things. So I still haven't started reading that much, but um, now I'm I'm reading. Uh, but, but good to know. Maybe I can stay young. Then. <laughs> you I need it. Keep reading. Um, how do you define success? What is Dinesh's definition of success? Yeah, very. That's really good. I mean, you know, to me, success is three things: strategy, alignment, execution. If you have a good strategy, and if everyone is aligned, and if everybody executes on it, it's success. Good, easy one. Um, any advice for your boss? <laughs> Prop Thomas. <laughs> Whoever, yes. We don't have to name any uh, names. 
No, I think, you know, you know, uh, one thing I've realized in, in this organization, I'm not going to name outside of what I don't know, but I think the trust is there, which is very critical for anyone to be successful. I think that's why we are, we are really shining the way we are doing is because the trust is there. And that goes, goes up and down. Meaning if I take my boss, I think he trusts me. I think I trust people, you know, around me. And I think people trust me. It's very direct. It's very open. It's very, you know, there's no, there's no ifs and buts. So my advice is that if everyone could be like that, where they trust each other and make sure that you have the trust in the other party to make the right decision, I think that's a good shape. That was a good answer. Radical candor, trust. Those are all great attributes. And I do think we have in the organization. Thank you so much for taking your time today. I think this will be great for folks to hear directly from you on the podcast and for everybody on the podcast. Again, I can't tell you how much I thank you enough for uh, listening. And until next time, uh, let's make data data simple. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out.